Hey everyone, welcome back to Campfire Stories. I'm Amy Scott and I'm back with another true crime story today. I thought it would be a good chance to cover this one because the person in this case was recently sentenced, I think in late November last year, and we we're talking about Daryl Brooks and he is the one who drove his SUV through a crowded parade route and killed six people, wounded many, many more. That's the basics of the case before we get started. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this case, I just want to say hi to anyone who is new. My name is Amy and I'm your host. I used to be a radio DJ and a news reporter and I left that field, but I like to create content. So here I am. My last video got, um, for me, quite a few views. I usually get like a handful, probably maybe a couple dozen, but my last video got 500 and I have a, a few new subscribers. So if you're new here, hi, I'm glad you're here and welcome. And we'll get right back into the case. As I mentioned in my intro, this case involves a man, Daryl Brooks, driving his SUV through a parade route. But there was a lot that went on before we get to the parade route, so we're going to talk about that first. At the time, he was actually out on bail for another charge. He had um, chased down his ex-girlfriend. Honestly, from reading about it, she's lucky to be alive. They had a fight. She tried to get away from him. He followed in his car. When she wouldn't get in the car with him, she was hit in the face by him and then run over by his car. She woke up with track marks on her clothing, a swollen face, and honestly, this girl's lucky to be alive. Daryl was obviously arrested as a result of this crime, but sadly, he was released on only $1,000 bail, which his mom paid on November 19th. And then it was only a few days later, November 21st, that the events we're talking about today start to unfold. It's November 21st, 2021, and Daryl and his girlfriend are fighting again. This time they're in uh, the parking lot of a school and the cops are called. But when they arrive, Daryl flees the scene in his truck and they're unable to stop him. And then just after 4.30 p.m. that same day, he enters the parade route. A police officer tries to stop him, is literally hammering on his hood and trying to tell him to stop. He does not stop. He has zero motion on his face. He uses his car as a battering ram and just mows people over. Uh, witnesses have said that he was aiming for people. So he was missing cars, but aiming for people. And because of his defense, it's important to note that he stopped and restarted several times. So this was very intentional on his part. It wasn't a mistake. This also happened over several blocks. And I want to just talk a bit about how long several blocks is. I think we hear that term a lot. But if you were walking, several blocks would be a good few minutes. And even in a car when you're driving, like that's a good amount of time. You don't accidentally run people over over a number of blocks. It's not like he missed the barricade and just kind of found himself on the parade route. This was intentional. Police tried to stop him before he entered and then for several blocks he drove along hitting people as many as he could, aiming for them and using his car as a battering ram. One of the news articles that I read had a witness say that he was driving over people like they were nothing more than speed bumps. When this is all said and done, Daryl Brooks has killed six people and injured 60 more. Several of the victims were a member of a group called the Dancing Grannies, and then one of them was an eight-year-old boy named Jackson Sparks, and the victims ranged in age from eight all the way up to 81 years of age. During this rampage, Gerald Brooks killed Thelma Durand, age 52, Willem Hospel, age 81, Jane Kulik, age 52, Liana Owen, age 71, Virginia Sorensen, age 79, and Jackson Sparks, age eight. 
Jackson Sparks, as I said, was eight years old. He had parents named Sherry and Aaron, and he was in the third grade. He and his brother both attended a local elementary school, and they were marching together as part of their baseball team. Both of them were hit by Daryl Brooks's SUV and injured, taken to hospital. Um, his brother, Tucker, who was 12, healed, but unfortunately, Jackson did not. He sustained a brain injury. They tried surgery to help him, but ultimately, a few days later, he passed of that brain injury. The Dancing Grannies were exactly what their name says. They were a group of older women who liked to go and dance and have fun and spread joy in their community, and they were doing just that at the parade. They were there to dance and make people smile, and sadly, three of their members, Ginny, Liana, and Tamara, all lost their lives. One of the victims was also one of the Dancing Grannies' husbands. He had been there supporting his wife and her friends, and he sadly lost his life as well. The path that leads Daryl Brooks to enter that parade route in November of 2021 starts way before that parade. He didn't have an easy childhood or an easy life. He grew up in the inner city of Milwaukee, mostly raised by his mother. His father was abusive towards his mother, which he would often witness. And then his father was also an alcoholic. He had a twin sister named Ebony, but she sadly passed away in 2014. At the age of 11, Daryl Brooks was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And having worked in mental health, I don't want to say that I'm an expert or anything like that, but what I can say is that we don't often like to label children with such a big diagnosis at such a young age. So what him being diagnosed at such a young age, 11, says to me is that it's quite possible that Daryl and his family were really suffering with his mental illness, and it was probably quite severe. He was also diagnosed with depression. He tried to commit suicide many times. He was admitted to a mental hospital at age 12 after losing his grandmother, and it was just not a very easy childhood for him. His mother was a single mother, and although she tried her best, it was a struggle. Daryl has said that they spent most of his life on welfare. And his mother also tried really, really hard to keep him on the straight and narrow. She didn't want him to turn out like his father, and he didn't want that either. But sadly, that's exactly what ended up happening. Daryl eventually became an addict and also an abuser, just like his father. Daryl had also said previously that he really wanted to make sure that if he had children that he parented them properly. He said he knew exactly how not having a father affected him and that he didn't want that for his own children. He did go on to have a child, but then by the age of three months, this child had been abandoned by its father as Daryl was going further and further down the path of his own father. The mother of his first child has said that he basically just vanished and she didn't hear from him. She had to start a paternity case to try and collect child support because he didn't want to pay. And that case was ongoing even up until Daryl was arrested for the parade incident. It was never resolved. Daryl also liked to call himself a rapper, but he had a bit of concerning content in his music. He used to like to call himself a terrorist and refer to himself as a killer in the city. He also had a concerning Facebook profile. He would advocate for violence against white people and Jews, and he also had posted some anti-Semitic things to his Facebook page. Daryl also had a really long criminal history that dated back to 1999 when he was only 17 years old. And excuse me if you see me looking down over this next part, I'm just going to read off his rap sheet basically off of my iPad. In 1999, he was convicted of substantial battery with intent to inflict substantial bodily harm. He was sentenced to three years probation and six months in jail. In 2002, he was convicted of THC possession, so um, 
Mary Jane possession while still on probation and sentenced to 50 days in jail. In 2003, he was convicted of resisting an officer and sentenced to 20 days in jail. In 2005, he was convicted of obstructing an officer in Washington. After his arrest, he was freed on a signature bond, but he failed to appear and fled to another state. In November 2006, he went back to Wisconsin, which is where these crimes that we're talking about today had been committed and pleaded guilty to statutory sexual seduction. He was accused of having consensual sex with a girl who was then 15 and conceived a child with her. He spent just 129 days in jail for this. 129 days. He also had to register as a sex offender as a result of this charge. In 2010, he was convicted of felony strangulation and suffocation and misdemeanor counts of battery and criminal damage to property in Wisconsin. After a no-contest plea, he was sentenced to three years probation and 90 days in jail. In 2011, he was charged with marijuana possession. When the police department tried to stop him, he gave a false name, then turned on his car and tried to drive away. So he was charged with resisting or obstructing an officer. And after a plea deal, he was sentenced to 37 days in jail. In 2012, he was charged with a probation violation, resisting extradition to counts of bail jumping, THC possession, and multiple counts of failure to appear because he didn't like to go to his court dates. In 2016, he was arrested for failure to obey sex offender laws in Nevada, and then on August 15th, 2016, a warrant for his arrest was issued for jumping bail, but he had moved back to Wisconsin and never appeared in court for that charge. I swear we're almost getting to the end, guys. Hang in there. On July 24th, 2020, he shot his nephew in a fight over a cell phone. Shot his nephew in a fight over a cell phone. He was charged with two counts of use of dangerous weapons and a felony count of possession of a firearm. And I'm guessing that since he had been convicted previously, he probably shouldn't have had a gun in the first place. Um, He had his $7,500 bail dropped to just $500. And he posted that on February 21st, 2021. In September of 2021, his nephew begged the court to issue a no contact order against Daryl, but that wasn't granted. And then on May 27th, 2021, he was arrested in Georgia on another domestic violence charge after a man at a motel reported hearing him repeatedly striking a woman. On May 28th, 2021, he was released on a signature bond and he returned to Wisconsin. And we all know what happened later on that year. Lots of these things are smaller, a lot of, you know, parole violations, um, having some weed on them and that sort of thing. But there are some bigger things in there, you know, that, you know, if he had been sentenced a little bit more stringently, maybe this parade incident wouldn't have happened. After mowing down the parade goers, Daryl fled the scene and he was eventually caught at a neighboring house and arrested and then found himself in court in the fall of 2022. He started off with a lawyer and the intent to plead insanity, but both of those very quickly changed. His attorney filed a motion to withdraw just two weeks before the trial was supposed to start, and Daryl decided to represent himself. His mother protested against this, saying that he was not capable of defending himself, saying, quote, he is not stable mentally enough to fully understand the big mistake he is making by wanting to represent himself. That alone should be enough to see he's not capable of being his own attorney. Now, throughout this case, you're going to hear from his mother quite a bit, and she stands up for him a lot, and a lot of it you will probably disagree with. I know I do, but for this, I I agree with her. I, I don't think he was fit to make that decision. I'm not sure what the legal process is to determine that, but I do agree with his mother here. I think he should have had a lawyer. It's important to remember that having a fair court system is important all of the time. 
even when you know that someone is guilty, even when it seems like the case is, you know, already done, um, it's important for us as a society to always have a court system that functions fairly. And even though Daryl Brooks did a horrible thing, should he be allowed to make decisions that are going to negatively impact his court case when he might not be mentally capable of understanding the impact of those choices? Something to think about. Daryl had also originally pled not guilty due to mental illness, but he withdrew that without explanation. He never really said why, he just said he didn't want to plead that anymore. The trial went ahead with Daryl representing himself, and he struggled to construct a defense. He often had really long, meandering cross-examinations, he refused to recognize his own name in the court, and refused to recognize that the court had any power over him, and was often seen muttering to himself and saying that the trial's not fair. He loved to argue and debate with the judge in the case. It would get super heated to the point where she would have to send him to another room where he would watch the court proceedings. So they would put him in another courtroom basically with a, a camera on him and then for him to watch a screen. And they would mute his mic unless he needed to be speaking and they would also mute him if he was speaking and became disruptive. He did lots and lots of weird things when they would remove him from the courtroom. At one point he removed his shirt and turned his back to the camera and then another time he barricaded himself behind his legal boxes. Just some really really odd behavior that speaks to his mental health. When trying to defend himself, he tried to blame the car, saying that the throttle had been malfunctioning. Now, we kind of know that's not true without even having to examine the car, because as witnesses stated, he entered that parade route intentionally. There was a police officer telling him to stop, he had a blank look on his face and just drove right by, there were several instances where he stopped at intersections or stopped to avoid cars and then accelerated again, so this defense already doesn't really make sense, but he did try to use it. The prosecution brought in an expert from Ford who testified that his SUV was in good working condition at the time of the parade incident. He did also try to say that his mental health was to blame. He tried telling the court that he'd been suffering from mental illness most of his life, but the judge just wasn't hearing it, saying that he chose to drive towards that parade despite multiple opportunities to avoid it, he kept driving through it despite multiple opportunities to stop, and that that did not support a claim of mental illness, and that he had acted, quote, recklessly, carelessly, and maliciously. And then she goes on to say, it's very clear to this court that he understands the difference between right and wrong, and he simply chooses to ignore his conscience. He is fueled by anger and rage. The court did order a mental health evaluation on Daryl, and they found him to have antisocial personality disorder. Judge Doro also chastised Daryl for showing a complete lack of remorse, saying that he barely apologized and oftentimes seemed to be mocking the people in court, rolling his eyes and that sort of thing. He also did a really odd interview with the New York Post where he refused to talk to them. So I guess they had like a video link between them and they had this interview scheduled and then he went off camera and pretended to be someone else and then started talking about himself in the third person trying to say that he wouldn't do an interview unless the New York Post paid him. The New York Post doesn't pay for interviews, so it didn't go any further. Um, and the jail did confirm later on that, of course, Daryl was alone in the cell, so it was him pretending to be someone else and talking about himself in the third person. It was a really odd trial, lots of odd behavior from Daryl, and he was eventually convicted and sentenced to life in prison. When you're sentenced to life in prison, it doesn't always mean life in prison. In the US, though, they have the option to give life in prison without the chance of parole, which is what Daryl was sentenced with. While the judge was reading out the sentence, the courtroom erupted in applause. This is a quote from Judge Doro. 
Frankly, Mr. Brooks, no one is safe from you. This community can only be safe if you are behind bars for the rest of your life. You left a path of destruction, chaos, death, injury, and panic as you drove seven blocks or so through the Christmas parade. And again, Judge Doro had to remove Daryl Brooks from the courtroom. He was being disruptive and had to be moved into another room where he continued to watch the proceedings via video link. Daryl's family spoke on his behalf, both his mom and his grandmother did, and his mom had this to say, quote, jail is not the only answer. Help treatment, hospitalization, and medication. It plays a big role in preventing this. Where we are today, if it would have been offered sooner. I, I get where she's coming from, but at this point, her son has killed six people, and I feel like that's kind of a little bit of an insensitive thing to say in court. The victims are there. Of course, she has the right to her opinion, and there, there's parts of that statement that I don't necessarily disagree with, but I can see why it makes some people so angry. His grandmother also spoke um, along a similar vein, saying similar things, and they both stressed that he had been suffering for a long time, and that if people had helped him sooner, maybe this wouldn't have happened, which, you know, it might, that might be true, but I don't know if this is the appropriate audience for that sort of conversation. Daryl was also given the opportunity to address the court, and he did for over two hours, mostly rambling about his faith and his mental illness and saying that he hadn't plotted or planned the attack. He also said this, I want everyone to know, also the community of Waukesha, I want you to know that not only am I sorry for what happened, I'm sorry that you could not see what's truly in my heart, that you cannot see the remorse that I have. And this, this bothers me quite a bit. First of all, he's saying sorry after spending the whole trial having to be removed from the courtroom for just being a nuisance and being really rude to the people in the gallery, and that often would include the survivors and the families of the victims. And that's just really, it's too little too late. And then secondly, when he says, I'm sorry that you could not see what's truly in my heart, that's not really an apology. That's putting the onus on the community for not being able to see what's in his heart. Like, it's almost like I've tried to show you what's in my heart, but you just can't see it. And I really hate that sort of an apology. It's not really an apology. You know, an apology is direct. I'm sorry for what happened, which to be fair, he does say. An apology isn't, I'm sorry that you could not see what's in my heart. That's not an apology. That's that's just you putting the blame on the other party. He did also apologize to the judge for his antics that day, saying that his temper had just sort of boiled over and it wasn't personal towards her. But again, uh, too little too late. He had been treating her horribly the whole entire time up until then. At one point, he did try to turn and address the victims in the gallery and Judge Doro shut that down saying, quote, I don't think they're ready for that yet. And I totally agree with her. And I don't think that Daryl deserves the opportunity to speak to them, to be quite honest. He doesn't deserve that. After being sentenced, Daryl appealed for post-conviction relief. So what this means is he's saying that his sentence is unfair. That's basically my layman's understanding of it. And if this is granted, he could be granted a new trial. They could modify the sentence or order some other form of relief for him. We'll have to see what happens with that. I'm sure it'll take some time to drag through court. That wraps up my coverage of this case. I hope you found it educational and informative, and I hope that Daryl Brooks spends the rest of his life in jail. If you're watching my videos, I just want to say thank you again. It's really tough when you're starting out a YouTube channel, you're kind of talking into the void, and every time that I get a like or a subscriber, it's noticeable to me. I notice it, and I see you, and I want to thank you. Um, 
yeah, it's just an interesting perspective to have as a creator where you're just kind of like, I'm talking to my iPhone right now and I don't know if anyone's gonna watch it. So for those of you who have watched my content, I really do appreciate it. And I would love if you could hit the subscribe button for me. I also want to say that I'm filming this a little bit differently. I'm filming directly onto my MacBook from my phone today. And so if you guys notice any difference, leave a comment, let me know how it looks. I, I don't know. I couldn't figure out if the resolution would be different or anything like that. I hope it's not. It's just a little bit easier to do it this way. And I also want to mention that I got my first kind of rude comment the other day. And I'm mentioning it not just because it's rude and it was a little bit funny. The guy called me annoying and said I spoke like a valley girl, I think. I had to Google it, which I can kind of see. Like, he's not wrong, but you don't have to be rude about it. Um, but I wanted to mention it because I've never talked about this before, but again, when you're watching a really small creator, giving them some constructive criticism can be really helpful. So if you're watching my videos and you have anything that you'd like to put in the comments, some advice or some tips or something you think I could do better, I would welcome that. Just please, please, please don't be rude when you do it. I, I know I'm annoying. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> anyway, that's it for me today. I'll see you later.